technology is disrupting everything from drafting to how we talk to our clients. It's something that we are hyper-focused on and acknowledge, and we've decided not to resist it, but to embrace it. We see that AI and the Internet of Things and automation is going to be a really key driver. It's going to be key changes to the way that we do business. Welcome back for the final episode with Tom Owens, Managing Director Gensler, and Isabel Tolland, Director of Aileen Sage Architects, a practice she and Amelia Holiday establishes their alter ego. Isabel is a highly sought-after speaker and thought leader. We'd like to thank our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, which designs, manufactures, and distributes leading-edge furniture for corporate and commercial environments. Zenith Interiors inspires organizations to excel. Thanks also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. Synergy is cloud-based business and project management software for architects. It centralizes your business and project information, giving you more time for design. Try Synergy free for 30 days at totalsynergy.com forward slash ADR. What are the skills and experience that you think you need to be an effective practice leader? Having a clear vision and goals is really important. I think that when you're leading a group of people, they need to understand where we're all headed. What's really important is to have that vision in place and to believe it and to never stop talking about it, you know, because if you stop talking about it, then people start forgetting. So it's really important to understand what your overall vision is and to go for it and make sure that you celebrate when you achieve some of those, you know, things and to move on and keep adapting your vision and change it because over time it does. I think that's really important. And it's kind of that rallying cry, right, for people mm. to to follow and as a team, right? We're all in this together. But also as a leader, the one thing that I've learned the most is to make sure that you have a lot of empathy for people because, again, our biggest asset is our talent. Mm. It's not the work. It's not our projects. It's the people. You know, when they're doing well, we're all doing well. And so just making sure that we're not losing sight of the things that you were talking about before. People change um, over time and they grow. Things change for them and it's important that we're doing this as a team. You'll have a a more successful outcome when you are more considerate of your people than just treating them, let's say, as as a resource, so to speak. Who do you admire for being a great leader, either within the profession or outside of it, and why? The leaders that, for me, are within the profession they're actually in the firm i think that there's lots of of people that i i do admire for what they've accomplished and you know the one person that that stands out for me is someone that i've been working with over the last few years his name's ray schick and he helped really build the um, asia region and the way that he approached opening the office in shanghai and beijing and hong kong and singapore and bangkok and then sydney was unique and he was instrumental in moving me out here as well. But the way he approached people and projects and our clients was was really passionate. His passion for the work, but also ensuring the business was healthy and that we were going at it in a very ethical, straightforward way was instrumental for me um, in my sort of high satisfaction levels out here. Again, Sydney is very far, let's say, distance-wise from all of our other offices, right? Geographically, it's very far away. And so sometimes you would feel that, but he would always make 
he would always sort of tie us together in a very clever way, make us feel like one big family, even though we were you know, seven countries and seven languages. And all the challenges we had out in front of us, he still made it really fun. It helped us create a, a successful um, region and practice. Do you think that, just circling back a bit to something that you said earlier about the office or the kind of business culture feeling very communal, let's say, so, you know, it's never about ego so much as the team, you know, everyone working together and feeling like mm. that they are part of a bigger company and there's no real single or single people that sort of stand out as the key, say, designers or whatever, that are celebrated as the visionaries as such. But I suppose perhaps, um, I mean, you mentioned that, Gensler himself started the practice and there is this sense of reverence for that. But the fact that it is called Gensler, mm. you know, one word perhaps detaches him. So people, as you say, that maybe maybe don't know the practice so well, don't necessarily associate that with a particular person. So there's not a t- attachment to one person or one visionary. Do you think that helps in the overall sense of communal goal for the, mm. for the company and a sense of value for everyone within that? Yeah, that was very intentional. He developed this business by leading, but also hiring the best people and getting out of their way. It's, it's one of the things that he says in his, in his book, which I thought was brilliant. I mean, when you think about it, you, are, you want to work with the best people, but you don't want to micromanage them. Once you do that, it's over. So you have yeah. to basically get out of their way and let them do what they do best. Put together a framework of ideas, process, of you know, aspirations, the vision. Put all that together but get out of their way and they're going to go really far. And yeah. so that was how it really started and mm. it's never stopped. So again, you know, me moving out here and my vision of where I thought I was going and they've allowed me to help create something really special in Australia in mm. the greater context of the, of the firm is directly a result of how he started and created this business. And so it's so important not to lose sight of that. We never really had an I culture. Yeah. And you got to check the ego at the door. You are your own person and you do have a lot of things to contribute, amazing things to contribute to the overall office design, the culture, whatever it is, but you're doing it as a team. And so there are thousands of bright stars in our firm and they're all getting recognized for being that. But again, they will never say that they did it alone. They did it on a team and this team looked like this and these are the people. Um, and so we make sure that it's important to recognize the group. So your role has changed over the course of your career from being a design manager to a studio director and then a managing director of the business. Is that a shift in your role that you um, were happy to undertake in that change in your day-to-day activities in the practice? Or did you, were there particular challenges that you faced um, through that progression in your career? I actually have enjoyed it. When I was a job captain eons ago, back in San Francisco, I was asked to change my role on the team that I was on because my boss was leaving. He was going client side. And when he did that, there was this gap in the leadership of this particular project team. And so they asked me to become that design manager. I went kicking and screaming because I didn't want to leave drawing. You know, I loved drawing. I loved creating things, you know, with my hands and... But after a short time, I realized that I actually enjoyed that side of the practice. It's actually a really good decision to do that. And so I learned very early on that it's okay 
to move around. It's not the end of the world. It's not, it's not over. You can always go back. You can always do things, you know, differently, but I kept, I chose to keep going in that, on that path. And so over time I started managing much more complex projects across the office up to a double hotel tower and casino in Macau um, at one point, which was fascinating stuff. It's something that I think you should always be open to is the shifting and moving around and experiencing new things and new paths and new leadership opportunities, especially when they're presented to you. The studio director and managing director roles have been very rewarding to me. I would basically say, you know, as long as you can, you know, stay close to the core business, which I like to do as much as I can, meaning try to sit in on, team meetings and and design charrettes and things like that. Mm. Don't lose sight of that. You should be okay. <laughs> I think that some people, it is challenging for them when they move into a more of a management role, let's say, and they're yep. divorced from design altogether. Mm. They really struggle. And so it's important to, to try to find that balance. So is that how you maintain your involvement in design is being part of those design meetings and charrettes, as you say, design charrettes. So you, you still have some kind of input in the design kind of progression and development as well? Yeah, I force myself into it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it's what we do. If you completely remove yourself from that process, then I think you lose sight of that. And you yeah. lose sight of that with your clients. You can't speak to them that the same way anymore. We're yeah. in design. We solve problems. Yes. And we need to keep doing that on a day-to-day basis. Yes, I have a lot less involvement than I have before, but I, I do stay as close as I can to that process. What do you think will be the greatest disruptor in our industry over the coming years? Oh, I think there's a few things. We have been tracking this and noticed look everyone else as technology is disrupting everything um, from you know drafting to how we talk to our clients and so it's uh, it's something that we are hyper focused on and acknowledge and we've decided not to resist it but to embrace it we see that AI and in the internet of things and automation is going to be a really key driver. It's going to be key changes to the way that we do business. And so instead of, like I said, um, rejecting that idea or ignoring it, we're trying to get ahead of it, let's Mm -hmm. say. So how can we develop the tools that create automation um, with some of the things that we do? How do we automate some of those things that we can, we can have more conversations with our clients so we can do different things for them. How can we be more strategic in the way that we work um, instead of just answering the questions, I think is really important to us. So, you know, the business as a whole is investing heavily right now in new technologies um, and also people related to those technologies. So building teams around new ideas, things that we, we don't even know that are here yet. Or we have an idea that these things are coming, but we might need a think tank to start helping us think about what those things are and try to predict, you know, where we're headed. And so it's a really interesting time for designers because I think that like the advertising industry, for instance, we have yet to see that disruption happen. And I think it's, I think it's, you know, inevitable. So does that mean you're now looking at hiring people a bit more outside of the industry or with skill sets that you Mm -hmm. were never previously looking at? Yeah, we've already started. I think that, um, again, you know, bringing in um, that brand designer from a very early start um, when we were just a handful of people and that that's on a small scale on a big Mm -hmm. scale in a larger office. um, There are people well outside of what you would consider a traditional, you know, design background and, you know, anthropologists and all sorts of people that can contribute in a very unique way into what we do. Because again, it's not just design, 
Yeah. We're also selling ideas and we're also doing a lot of research. And to do that, you need strategists and you need researchers and you need data analysts and you need all of these people that come together to create some of the content that we use to help us design. And so getting out in front of that is kind of the uh, where we're, we're focused on now. So are they people you bring on board specific to a particular project when it seems relevant or, or are they people that you are working with more broadly, more generally as you see the field kind of changing and shifting? I think in the early days, meaning let's say 10 years ago, we were doing it on a project basis, so project mm. by project. Oh, this project might be big enough and might have a research initiative in there that we might want to tap into and we'll use this project as the impetus for that. And instead of thinking along those terms, we're thinking now more broadly and we're bringing those folks on permanently. So they are part of teams and also creating studios out of that because there is a way to bring in the work to support those people, if that makes sense. So they are um, not necessarily working only on a research project, but they're working on a research project broadly related to, you know, a particular practice area. And so, again, it's all very integrated. um, And it's something that we've had to get used to as a firm because again we used to try to keep things not siloed but you know in place like okay well if you're you know in workplace or if you're in aviation you know think about aviation don't get distracted but now we have a uh, very broad and diverse team to help think about an aviation project because it isn't just about aviation anymore it's about food and beverage it's about customer experience it's about you know, flying. It's about the path of travel, the, the arrival experience. There's all sorts mm-hmm. of things you need to think about now that I think that you didn't necessarily think about before. Companies such as WeWork are having an impact on the architectural space, especially in the US. Have you felt any impact here? And is their model something that the industry should be concerned about? Oh, I think I think we've felt it. I think everyone has, has felt it. You know, Sydney's been lucky enough to have a pretty robust market and then the amount of work that we've seen over the last few years was record-breaking. But even within that, I think we felt the WeWork phenomenon, mm. so to speak. That's just the beginning. I think that we're going to see more and more of this disruption because, again, people are looking for new choices. And because of that, we need to be able to flex and adapt. So, again, instead of fighting it, we need to see how we can work with it. Clients are looking for flex space, for instance, if we're talking WeWork. Um, and so it's important to understand and to help solve for those problems, right? It might not be the WeWork solution, but it might be another solution. What we also see is uh, WeWork um, creating opportunities within their business. So they're hiring on um, interior designers and other folks on staff that um, provide services that traditionally we would provide. And so that's been an interesting you know, change for us and challenge. Because we do see the talent um, shifting and moving towards, you know, we work at times, um, mm. and so that's been an interesting thing to watch. I'm, I'm very interested to see where they go because, you know, they've been in the news recently, and there's all sorts of things circling around that. But I think it's I think it's important to see this as a really big lesson um, and something we can really learn from mm. too. The way that they've done business and how the market has responded. It's very interesting. So not so much necessarily a threat, just a new challenge that we all have to kind of deal with and and our thinking perhaps needs to follow. Yes, that's exactly right. So you've been involved with some amazing projects over the years. Do you have a particular favourite and why is that? I do not because if I did... I'd hear from it, hear from my team. I have favorites. I have ones that, you know, bubble up to the surface because for one reason or another, maybe I was closer to it than others or struck a chord with me somehow. But um, 
there, there's been a handful, um, more than a handful over my career. Um, but most recently I would say that the, the ones that are projects to see if you can get, if you can get a, an appointment, you know, the Facebook project over in Brangaroo, those top three floors of tower to really fun to work on. It's a very fascinating client mm-hmm. and, you know, working with Accenture, is fascinating as well because they are doing some really incredible things and a lot of research and robotics. I find the way that they work with their clients is very similar to the way that we work with our clients. It's very hands-on. They they probably have a lot more fun because they have robots in a maker lab and they can create all kinds of things and tinker. But working on their space and helping them create the space that helps them create things with their clients is really rewarding. So that that project we completed a couple of years ago in Melbourne is one that I always think back to about. It's a very challenging project, but really fun. So would you say that's been one of the most challenging projects for you? Dan? I would say, how about this? I'll say the most challenging projects are my favorite projects. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good so now some questions that we regularly ask our guests. What is it that you know now that you wish you knew when you started out? Right. I would say that start your network early, nurture it and maintain it like a garden. You just gotta, you gotta work at it. It's not something that comes naturally. And it is so important to maintain those relationships and friendships um, because they last a lifetime. Don't let them go. Um, and so that has been the biggest lesson learned. Have those relationships traveled with you then? Easily? They have. Yeah. Yeah, they have. And that was part of the reason why it was easier for me to do what I did here um, at the beginning, the early days, um, because I could rely very heavily on my global network of Mm -hmm. colleagues from around the world to help me find work, um, engage with clients, to find clients and their relationships um, and how they relate to my client relationships in the U.S. or in the U.K. And and stitching those together um, was critical in the growth of the office. What advice would you give a new fledgling practice in Australia starting out today? Oh, I would say establish your vision early, stick to it, keep your head down, do great work um, with your clients. And before you know it, um, your network will grow and your clients will love what you're doing and will come back for more and will tell their friends and their colleagues and to just take it one step at a time. Don't go too fast. There's a lot to do. And every project leads to, you know, more work, more challenges, more interesting things, more successes, um, that it's really important to just stay the course. What do you consider to have been your greatest challenge in your career so far? And what did you learn from that? I would say moving. I think moving to a different country has been pretty challenging. And um, I knew it would be. Um, and that sounds like an easy answer, but it actually is more challenging than it, than it, than it appears. And people are doing it. All the time. But I would just say, just be really open-minded, learn, you know, how things are done and try to enjoy it every single day because um, you just have to. What do you consider to have been the greatest success in your career and what have you learned from that? Ah, so, you know, when you have a, a really engaged, fun team, that dynamic is critical to a successful business. So, for me, it, it was fostering a sense of community and culture in this office from, from nothing, being a part of that. Again, I, it wasn't all me. Everyone was involved in that. And so, but to really help grow that culture was really rewarding and is still rewarding to me today. Do you have an inspirational quote or mantra that you could share with our listeners? Words to live by, perhaps, mm. that maybe you've often said to yourself that are either your own words or 
um, someone else's. You know, the one that sticks with me right now, and it's something that has been going around the, the firm recently, which is you need to grow your people to grow your business. And I, I really believe that. I think that when you focus on the people first, that's, yeah. that's really what it's about, right? It's what the design is about people. Your business will naturally follow. Now five and five. I'll give you one word. And if you could give us your off-the-cuff response as to what that word means to you. Disruption. Constant. Leadership. Empathy. Trust. Necessary. Opportunity. Always. Downtime. Required. <laughs> or can I say hard to find? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much for your time today, Tom. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me as well. We hope you enjoyed Tom's story and we would like to thank both Tom and Isabel for their valuable time and for contributing to the Business of Architecture and Design podcast. Join us next time when we will be joined once again by Isabel Tolland, who will delve deep into the Business of Architecture and Design with Megan Dwyer, Principal at John Wardle Architects. The Business of Architecture and Design podcast is produced by Joanne Davies, publisher of Australian Design Review and Architectural Review. Madeline Swain, Editor of Architectural Review and Niche Media. With thanks to our launch partner, Zenith Interiors, and also to our supporting partner, Total Synergy. For more information and links, visit the episode webpage. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us.